Welcome to the People and Performance Podcast, featuring guest experts from such global brands as NASA, Salesforce, the Milwaukee Bucks, Staples Professional, IBM, Mutual of America, Zero, and Simon Sinek Inc. The show offers expert insights into the strategic capabilities and behaviors needed to grow and sustain employee performance. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Hey, this is Bill Bannum, your show co-host and editor over at the HR Gazette. In this episode of the People and Performance podcast, we focus on well-being in the workplace and ways to recognize and tackle stress. Our guest today is Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, CBE, the 50th anniversary prof of organizational psychology and health at Manchester Business School at the University of Manchester. Sir Kerry is the author and editor of hundreds of books and is one of Britain's most quoted business experts. Sir Kerry was awarded the CBE by the Queen in 2001 for his contributions to organizational health and safety, and in 2014, He was awarded a knighthood for his contributions to the social sciences. We hope that you enjoyed this conversation that Chris Buelling and I had with Sir Kerry. And if you do, please remember to like, comment and subscribe. Sir Kerry, Chris and I are delighted to welcome you to the People and Performance podcast today. Yeah, great to be here. So uh, this is the second time that you and I have, um, have had a conversation, Sir Kerry. I was so impressed by you when when we spoke before. I, I said to Chris, "Chris, we've got to we've got to get Sir Kerry on on the people and pods." I'm, I'm glad we made that happen today. Um, and I'd encourage folks to check out that episode that I did with you on the the HR Chat Pod to get a bit more background on your career, your academic uh, credentials too. And instead, in this interview, because we'd like to keep these conversations pretty tight. We're going to jump straight into it. My first question for you, Sir Carrie, is you've worked with, for example, the European Foundation for the Improvement of Living and Working Conditions. What kind of strategies should be followed to manage organizational and workplace stress? Yeah, I worked with that's uh, the European Foundation for the Improvement of Living and Working Conditions is a, a European Union uh, agency. And I worked with them to try to build up a kind of strategy on it. And the strategy was kind of very simple, primary, secondary, and tertiary strategy. Most organizations ought to follow. That means tertiary means, hey, uh, like EAPs, uh, a a place where people can go when they need help, call up, talk, face-to-face, whatever, employee counseling of one sort or another. Um, Secondary just means training people, resilience training, training line managers and in EQ, emotional intelligence. And primary means actually trying to find out what employee voice is all about. That means doing well-being and stress audits of companies uh, by asking employees for getting their perceptions using proper psychometric tools and uh, then collecting that data and then helping to build a strategy to deal with the problem. So you find out what employees perceive of how they're managed, the hours of work, uh, whether they have flexible working or not, what, what's causing them the stress at work. And then from that pick, and you break it down demographically, so you find it for women, for men, for that division, that division, and then you build a strategy to deal with the kind of problems you have. So I think that's the kind of way we have to treat it. 
So managing stress is not just about training. Uh, that would we fall in the kind of secondary category, secondary kind of intervention. I think it's about building a complete picture for employees and then taking actions and making sure you have support systems available like EAPs and things like that for people. Once you do that, I think you can sort most of the problems out, but you have to continually do that because what causes stress in April might not be causing people stress in September. The People and Performance Podcast, supported by Fidelo Inc., is dedicated to offering tips and expert insights into the strategic capabilities and behaviors needed to establish, grow, and measure the performance of employees. If you enjoy the show, why not subscribe and give us five stars through your favorite podcast app? Follow-up question to that one then, Sakari. What strategies do you recommend that the individual employee takes to reduce or eliminate their stress in the workplace and any well, any practical insights and any strategies that you can share there yeah i mean it's obviously the responsibility of the individual to deal with it themselves as well you know the employer can create the right kind of culture uh, but the individual has to take action and do remember what causes people most stress in life are two things uncertainty and lack of control and for me you might not be able to deal with the uncertainty of you know, living uh, cost of living crisis, the war in, in uh, Ukraine and, you know, political instability, whether it's a, a Trump or a Boris Johnson or, you know, where there's political instability. But what you can do is take control. And I think for individuals, the best thing to do. Yeah, you could say, well, you know, do meditation, uh, go for resilience training and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that's fine, too. I think the best thing you can do as an individual is try to identify the nature of the problem you've got. You know you're not well. Something's causing you trouble. You know uh, you're uh, more withdrawn than you normally are. You're getting aches and pains all the time. You're getting frequent colds. You're, you're, you're getting the symptoms that you're on the borderline between stress and uh, pressure. Pressure is motivating and stimulating. When pressure exceeds your ability to cope, then you're in the stress arena. So for me, what you should do when you start seeing symptoms of stress is get somebody to talk to about it. Get a f- close, it doesn't have to be a counselor, by the way. It can be a close personal friend, somebody who will give you accurate feedback, who won't just say, put their arm around your shoulder and say, oh, don't worry about it, Carrie. It's got to be somebody who will actually help you identify what's driving your symptoms, why you're becoming anxious, why you're becoming depressed. And and then that person might help you think of the options to deal with the problem. That's giving you control. You can't deal with the uncertainty around you, but you can deal uh, with a lot of problems by taking charge uh, and, and, and identifying what are the options open for you with the problem you have. Is it a bullying boss? Is it a long hours culture? Is it lack of um, work-life balance? It's work is damaging your personal life. Um, is it that work is, is, you know, that your personal life is starting to affect you at work? I mean, these, you you can always get a solution for problems and working with somebody else to identify what those, what the underlying drivers is to your symptoms uh, is very helpful. And then thinking of the options, the variety of options open to you where you take the option with the most benefits and the least costs is, I think, the way to deal with 
real stress at work. So I think you kind of touched on this with the difference between pressure and stress. But, you know, one of the questions that we had going into the today, we were looking at say, you know, can stress or pressure be a motivator to perform in one's job or does stress itself almost always lead to burnout? Yeah, uh, there really is a big difference between those two words. Pressure can be very stimulating and motivating. Most people, particularly professional people, they they love the pressure. But, you know, we each have good good or poor coping strategies. You know, we're all different. Some people have pretty good, uh, resilient coping strategies. Uh, and other people are less able to cope. So, for me, when pressure exceeds your ability to cope, when you go over that line between pressure and stress, you're now in the stress zone. That's when you really have to take action. And that is different. And stress, stress in my, in my definition of it, stress is not a positive. It is a negative. Pressure is a positive. And uh, unless you deal with the problem when you cross the line, when you cross over the line, then it'll, it'll just get worse. So if you have a bullying line manager uh, and you go into work every day and this person fault finds with you, everything you do is wrong and you dread going into work, yet you need the job, you have a mortgage, you have kids at school, you have this, that, and the other, and you need, you, you know, you can't leave this particular job. You've got a problem, but you do have to think of the options open to you. And there are always options. Should you stay within that organization but go to another part of it? Should you leave it, look for another job while you're there, and then find another job? Should you confront your line manager with their behavior? And it depends on whether that person's a, a natural bully or not. So there are always options to deal with your 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 issue. Uh, but when you're in the stress zone, that's not healthy. Excellent. Let me just ask you a, a slightly different follow-up than where we were originally going and, and say, from an organization standpoint, because right now you're addressing the individual, from an organizational standpoint, should the organization have um, mechanisms set up for individuals that are hitting these peak issues of stress to address not just a you know, friend or their own internal coping mechanism? Should they establish some things, understanding that this is a natural flow of work and life that there's stress that comes into play and how do we mitigate it and go well forward. most or most organizations chris do uh have eaps employee assistance programs mm -hmm. most me large medium large companies big public sector bodies have eaps or a counseling service within so that's one thing what they're also doing is they're doing mental health first aiding in other words training their staff their own staff uh, and saying to their staff, well, you know, mental health is a big issue in the workplace. Stress, depression, anxiety is a big issue. So who would like to volunteer to actually talk to people when uh, who might have problems? Not professionally trained. So what you do is people volunteer and say, I'd like to be a mental health first aider. It's like first aiding, physical first aid, but yep. it's mental health first aid. They take them on a one or two day training course and... Uh, and then they should, you know, teach them how to listen, uh, try to reflect back to the individual, try to help support them in some way. So that's another thing. But there's early days on that in terms of how effective that is. Do they are the right people uh, volunteering to do this or should they not be doing it? Uh, do they get the right kind of training? How effective is it? There's some research coming out, 
which shows it can be effective, but there's other research showing it can be a bit dangerous too because the wrong kind of people might volunteer to want to help other people. And if they have problems, it's probably not a good idea. They should be trying to help somebody else. But the point I'm trying to make is organizations are aware that stress, anxiety, and depression is big time. It is a leading cause of sickness absence in every developed country in the world. No question. In the UK last year, 57% of all long-term sickness absence in the UK by the health and safety executive, well, a couple of years ago, because we we had the pandemic and that was unusual. Uh, uh, So it was a few years ago. Uh, 57% of all long-term sickness absence was stress, anxiety, and depression. In most developed countries, it's anywhere between 50 and 65%. Of, and musculoskeletal, which used to be backache and things like that, used to be the leading cause. It's no longer the leading cause of, uh, of long-term sickness absence. So organizations are doing it, usually with EAPs, some training and mental health first aid. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, because we I do see some orgs that don't do it. And I think it's important for them to step back, at least in the States, uh, for them to step mm. back and start looking at how do we deal with this? Cause there's a lot of just discussion around, you know, those situations you talked about, but that I haven't seen, you know, APs are great when they're in place um, or if they're in place and not utilized, it's not good. So it's, you know, how do you work them and how do you get people to, to work inside those parameters is, is the, is the big thing. So anyway, let me change up topic here and let's just sit on something on, you know, the, the concept of work-life balance here. You know, you, we all have these phones that are pretty much everything that Star Trek gave to us back in the 60s, right? You know, our camcorder and our, you know, our tricorder and all that stuff that do all these things. Um, and what that does is people tend to be connected all the time with employees. They're getting text messages, they're getting emails, they're checking them here, they're checking them at night before they go to bed. Uh, you know, they're getting stuff from clients. Clients don't seem to see there's a boundary anymore a lot of times, um, depending upon where you're working with and who you're working with. How can employees switch off this concept of, you know, I'm always enabled, but I need to divorce myself from this? And the question after that is, do you recommend practices like not checking emails on weekends or the evenings? Yeah, uh, this is a, a really big issue. So I run the National Forum for Health and Wellbeing at work, which I created about five and a half years ago, because the number of chief medical officers and HR directors of companies came to me at Manchester Business School and said, Kerry, we need a place where we can talk about the big issues on health and well-being and stress at work. Um, will you form this group, which now has 44 global members? Uh, you know, we, we're talking very senior people, HR directors, chief medical officers, directors of health and well-being. Many companies have them now. And um, when we were talking about it, they said that the biggest issue we have is the line manager, but let's get to that elsewhere. But the second biggest issue when we formed this five years ago was emails. And because of the 724 culture that, you know, companies were sending emails to people out of office hours at night, at weekends when they're on holidays. And they felt that that was damaging people's health. And so much so that I don't know if you know this, but if you, uh, the French two years ago passed a law called the right to disconnect law. The Portuguese have passed a law. Italy's, pa- uh, so those two countries did. Italy is about to introduce it in its parliament as well. New Zealand is doing it. The number of countries in the EU are going after the right to disconnect law, which says that no manager 
can send an email out of office hours to their subordinates. That means at night, weekends, and on holidays. Now, I'm not a big fan of that because if we're to have flexible working, good good work-life balance by allowing people to work hybridly and flexibly, if they want to take their pick up their kids from school at 3:30 and then work at night and spend time with them, read with them, be with them when they come out of school, but then do the work at eight o'clock at night. Well, if the servers close down or if it's illegal to do that, then how do you how does flexible working work? But there should be guidelines. And my national forum came up with a four-page guideline on what you should do. For example, you don't send emails out of office hours like the right to disconnect law says, unless absolutely necessary. So you don't send an email on a Friday night. You don't send an email over the weekend. You don't send an email while they're on holiday. You don't send it at night, full stop, unless, but you see a lot of managers will then say, okay, well, you know what I do on a Friday night or a Tuesday night or any night, I send an email to somebody, but I say you don't have to deal with it to the next morning or the ne- or over the weekend. But you know what? If your boss says that to you, you do it and you or you worry about it and it affects your weekend. So that's not going to work. You need guidelines and companies need to come up with guidelines. Don't CC in everybody to prep your backside. Don't send emails out of office hours unless absolutely necessary. Don't send an email and say, but you can do this later. Send it to them when the later is rather than now. Uh, There's a whole load of things that you should and shouldn't do. And the bad news is most companies don't have these guidelines. It does. It is a stressor for individuals when they see that come through and that pulsing that's there. So and for their family and for their family as well, Chris, that's the problem. You're interfering with people's private life. And sometimes it's necessary because something really important comes up at work, but it's rare. It's not, you know, there will be an emergency and there'll be times when you need to do that. But, you know, you don't need to be on 724. All that's going to do is burn you out. You've got uh, another book out. You've you've released so many books your, your latest book is called occupational health and well-being so carrie uh the full title is uh, occupational health and well-being challenges and opportunities in theory and practice and the book covers a wealth of topical and relevant themes and they include defining well-being in a modern world toxic leadership mental health first aid the application of positive psychology and what the new normal looks like in one minute or less so carrie we're going to challenge you in one minute or less Tell us about the book and some of the hoped for learning outcomes. Oh, uh, basically, it's giving people uh, uh, a compendium of things that they should be thinking about, like mental health first aid. Let's find out about it. What are the the elements of it that make it up? Um, Let's look at the line manager. What's important? Because we think that's really a kind of critical issue. Um, we, we have we tend to promote and recruit line managers uh, based on their technical skills, not their people skills. So what do we have to do in that kind of arena? It's, it's looking at all the issues, you know, and, and you can flip through it because people are interested in it. mindfulness. Does that work? I mean, when should we do it? How should we do it? Same thing with mental health, first aiding. It's it's all of those kinds of issues that companies and organizations are thinking about to help the individual and try to create the right kind of culture. And, and so we're just giving them a, a, one, a, a, a one place to go uh, uh, for all the kind of issues that I'm sure they're thinking about because a lot of companies are now they're really into this big this well-being space 
I love that. Thank you very much. Now, Chris has got a couple of questions for you that we ask of all of our guests, right, Chris? I do, I do, I do. Okay, so, Carrie, here's the challenge for you. In one minute or less, can you share one piece of advice or some direction that you were given by a mentor, leader, or a colleague that inspired you personally to perform at a higher level in your career? I had a, a professor that saw something in me when I was doing my MBA and then told me to go to England because he loved England and thought I would learn a lot from it. I should go to Europe. I shouldn't do my PhD in the US. And he was a Viennese professor, really lovely man. And he said one thing to me, he said, as you move up in your career, just remember, be kind to people, be, be nice to them. Don't, don't lose who you are as a person. You lose that, you, you lose that and you lose everything. And he says too many people uh, climb the greasy pole and lose who they are and forget to be kind and helpful to other people. And I've tried to remember that all my career. And sometimes I, I lose it. But more often than not, I, I go back to thinking about that person as a human being. And would I like to treat that person uh, if that person was my daughter? Would I like somebody else to treat them like I'm, I'm about to treat them? I always think that way before I do it. Be kind. He said that to me, and I think is a, a really powerful bit of information and, and usefulness for me. Excellent. And just to share from an observational standpoint, in the few minutes that we've had with you, that has come across in every statement you've made and any response that you've brought back to the table. And it's not just in the way you responded to our questions, it's in the work that you've done from your career standpoint and the pieces you've put in place. Yeah. And it's and that is self self-evident. And so Thank you for sharing that. Last question that I have for you, okay? And we ask everybody this because we're just pulling it together for every one of our interviews. Um, the question is, from a culture and people processes perspective, what does a high-performing company mean to you? A high-performing company to me means a company that's compassionate, loyal, actually cares about their employees, engages them, and looks after them. It's a family. A high-performing company is a family. It is not just looking at the bottom line. When people need help, they support them, and then they pay them back by their loyalty and by their performance. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. And just finally for today, Sakari, how can our listeners connect with and learn more about you? Oh, well, uh, that's, that's an interesting one. <laughs> well, I mean, if they ever want any information, just get in touch with me by email. I'm a, I'm a fairly open person. So just go to carry.cooper at manchester.ac.uk. So, Carrie, that just leaves Chris and I to say for today, thank you so much for taking the time and, and being our guest on, on this episode of the People and Performance podcast. Well, thanks, Bill. Thanks, Chris. I've enjoyed it. I've also enjoyed our conversation before we even got on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and it could have gone on a lot longer too so it could have done, uh, yeah. very good so thank you carrie um we appreciate the time today and the wisdom that you bring from all your years of experience well yeah. thank you i i enjoyed it very much 
Thank you for listening to the People and Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe.